Welcome to Pushing Through. It is Friday, July 10th. I am Tate Frazier, and as always, I am joined by the kid, BJ Armstrong. And today we have a very special guest, senior NBA writer, the man that is the host of The Low Post, Mr. Zach Lowe. Zach Lowe, welcome to Pushing Through. We appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Hope you guys are doing good. Oh, uh, we're doing our best. We're doing the best we can. And uh, BJ and I, we uh, we have been we have been talking about a bubble. I feel like the world of basketball has been talking about a bubble for two months now, um, and now we finally see these guys getting into the bubble. Uh, what Zach, as someone who has had to write about the safety precautions, all all the minutia, the red tape behind this whole process, what is it like to just see these guys finally be in the bubble and have basketball? You know, three weeks away. It seems like a relief, at least from our end. It's wild, actually. I was I was calling a couple people last night, being like. Are you in? Are you there yet? Are you, are you in the bubble? What what's and and it dawned on me that yesterday was the last day. All the teams are there. Obviously, a few of the star players have um, delayed their entrance to the bubble a little bit, but everyone's there. And then I found myself like I'm used to asking these sophisticated basketball questions, and then I was like, okay, so take me through it. What's in your room? How does the food come? Is there a knock on the door and then there's food? How long do you wait to go out and get the food? Um, is there water in your room? How many bottles of water? Who's on your floor? What other teams are nearby? Are they on the same? I just had all these like fundamental like X's of just basic layout questions. I'm just fascinated by the whole thing. Well, well, Zach, I'm, I want to compare notes here because I've been talking to players and executives. I kind of got an idea of the mindset of the players, right? It's actually kind of funny. And most of the players, they have a sense of humor about it. <laughs> I'm sure like you're talking as well. But what are these executives doing? Because, you know, there is, you can't work the phones. <laughs> there are no trades right now. What are they, what are the executives doing? That's, can you give us some uh, insight on that? Well, you know, you can always work the phones, right? Even if, <laughs> even if it's a dead period, you can always work the phones. There's always stuff to talk about and there's always logistics. And I think there are some like kinks to work out um, on the campus. Like some people have had their meals come later than expected. So there's calls about that and calls about practice and how price. So there's always stuff to do. But yeah, I think everyone bought books. Everyone bought maybe eBooks. I don't know what people do now. Everyone bought movies to watch. So they're just kind of sitting around and make it. I think it's still a lot of phone calls, right? I mean, there's still there's always stuff to talk about. Yeah, I was going to say, and there's a lot of there's a whole gaming center that we saw Donovan Mitchell, I think, just put out to the world the video of like where they're putting in the old Pac-Man games and those sorts of things. We've seen, you know, I think Myers Myers Leonard had a whole setup where he's got Call of Duty going on, which is like a whole game. I, I don't even understand Myers Leonard's <laughs> tweets. Like, I follow him on Twitter. I know Myers. He's just tweeting vi- like stuff in a foreign language to me because it's all about video games. I'm like, dude, and then like it's always Mario Hazonia is always chiming in and like all the like I don't even know what the hell you guys are talking about. Did you see that? Did you see the <laughs> Uh, video with him and his dog they were trying to get like a lizard you guys got to see this video (laughs) i didn't see myers (laughs) leonard and his myers leonard yeah it's myers leonard you got to see this video it's myers leonard it went viral where him and his dog they're trying to get this lizard well myers i think is he do you think he's styled his hair that way intentionally to match the color of his dog i mean he has this like bizarro white hair that looks like i've given him crap for it already so i don't i don't feel bad giving him yeah like i i have so many questions about just like what is this going to look like how is it going to work and i've talked to some players some coaches everyone's just sort of like let's get through the first two days where of i can't leave my room so i get all these boxed meals and then like practice i think starts tomorrow i think they're going to start practicing and like 
it's they can go right into five on five and it's got to be weird man like we we haven't seen five on five basketball for a lot of these guys in four months now it's 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 crazy how long it's been and, and Zach, we have to ask you because, you know, that's what you're famous for, for breaking down the basketball by pointing out these things like a LeBron James back cut. Like when you were talking about the Heat, I read your decision article not too long ago, and you were talking about LeBron James learning from Dwayne Wade and all these sorts of things. These are all basketball conversations, but now you're having those analytical basketball conversations about how many bottles of water are in the room and, you know, how many times you can play ping pong a certain night. So just in your mindset as a basketball writer, is it is it do you have to get off the rust a little bit yourself just to say, all right, I got to get back to watching 5-on-5 basketball? Have you watched? Watch games from the season to get yourself prepared for this. So what just, is your mindset? So just this morning, um, I, I'm actually I, I was thinking about. So I've been doing podcasts about. I've been doing this podcast series called "So Where the Hell Were We?" And yep. it's sort of like what was going on with the Bucks four months ago. <laughs> and I found that very useful to refresh my memory. Like, oh yeah, Marvin Williams is on the Bucks. Like my brain just sort of excised that piece of information a while ago. And so this morning, I. Stemming from that, I was I'm I'm gonna write a column I think on like let's pick like six or seven lineups that I'm really interested in seeing in the bubble when the best teams start playing again. So I was watching film of those lineups this morning, and your brain I go through this at the beginning of every season anyway. Your brain definitely has to get back into like okay, look at you know look for where Ben Simmons is off the ball. Look for all that stuff that you don't necessarily naturally focus on. And so I found myself this morning being like, all right, I'm at I, I haven't done this in a while. I'm getting back into it. And is there a team, Zach? Like, I mean, everyone's talking about the Lakers right in the West and the Bucks in the East, but is there someone else, like maybe the Raptors, a team that won 46 games with 18 games left on the schedule, you know, already, or, or, or maybe a team out West like the Clippers that have sort of been under the radar, surprisingly so, just as far as the headlines. Is there a team like that that you're like, I want to focus, is it, you know, Joel Embiid in a hazmat suit going down there with the Sixers? Um, is, there, is there a specific team that you're looking forward to, to, to watching to see what they look like? Yeah, I mean, I... I've picked the Clippers to win the championship all year from the mm -hmm. beginning of the year. So I'm, I'm super into the Clippers. I have a pathological obsession with the 76ers. I just think they're <laughs> the weirdest, craziest roster. And I can't wait to see like, I, like they had started to bring Al Horford off the bench, like about a month before the hiatus. And then Ben Simmons gets hurt. And it's like, well, that was interesting. And I'm interested in that. Um, I think the Rockets, if Eric Gordon's healthy, um, they have an ingredient of like, all right, so how is that going to work? Like playing no center, how, that, that team has like an upside that I think is interesting. And, and that the last is that, that Raptors Celtics two, three in the East. Mm. I think if we do see that series, I, I think whoever gets out of that, if they face the Bucks, I think that's going to be a tough series for the Bucks. I'd pick the Bucks to win it, but I think both of those teams have the goods to like push the Bucks pretty hard. Zach, I'll ask you a question. Um, it's interesting we talk about the 76ers here. I know you're heavy into the analytics and, and all of those things. What lens are you looking at the Sixers? Because I find them <laughs> fascinating as well. Why well, are just, they fascinating? Because they, they – well, Simmons is like one of the most unusual – maybe the most unusual player in the NBA, right? Like a guy who just – a perimeter ball handler who just flat refuses to shoot. And is also like six nine and a monster athlete. Like you just don't see that kind of player, and you definitely don't see him mixed in with the closest thing the modern game has to Shaq, right? You just don't mm -hmm. see that. That mix by itself is interesting. And then in the off season, for them to say, you know what, Jimmy Butler, 
we're going to go in a different direction and we're going to bring in Al Horford, who's been effectively a center for like the last two or three years. And we're going to upsize. We're going to go from big to like gargantuan. <laughs> and with the bet that like, yeah, we'll score enough probably, but our defense is going to be ridiculous. And uh, our size is going to be a weapon in the play. Like they designed what they thought was a playoff team. Game slows down. Our size suddenly becomes like we can hunt mismatches and bully people. And now is the time for that. So I just think they're just a strange, starting from Simmons on down, they're just a, a weird experiment. And if you look at the the tournament, all these guys going into it, Zach, you know, a lot of people have, have called it a, a glorified AAU environment. Um, does that benefit someone like a Ben Simmons or the Sixers, or does it benefit a team like the Clippers who would essentially be playing road games even if they were at home against the Lakers? Are there certain teams like that where you see them in a bubble and they're like, oh, that, that, that works for them. They, they don't need a crowd and they probably love this. Yeah, I think if you have an enormously powerful home court advantage, you're probably like, ah, that, that kind of stinks that we don't get like the Toronto crowd or the mm-hmm. Philly, Philly's 29 and two, I think at home or something like that. Um, we don't get that. And then I just look at the teams that, um, you know, BJ can speak to this more as a veteran of, of a lot of high stress situations. I do think there's something to be said for the veteran, the teams that have a few veteran guys who have been through lots of crazy situations. Well, this is going to be the craziest one and could kind of keep a steady hand. And then you just look to me, the teams that needed to get healthy are now, are now healthy. So Simmons was hurt. Giannis was hurt. Kawhi and PG are load management for Kawhi and PG was coming off some shoulder stuff and wasn't quite right for a lot of the season. Like those teams I think do benefit. Mm. You know, Zach, it's, you know, you, you talked about it, made a good point here. And one of the things and you know, being an agent and dealing with, you know, the things that you deal with is the stress of the players. And people deal with stress all different types of ways, you know. And now that you have all these players together and they will be together twenty four seven, literally, how do you think they're gonna deal with the stress that comes with winning and losing? And what will be some of the things you think they'll be able to do? Because, you know, some people, they need to take a walk or they just need to get away or whatever it is you need to do. Now you're, you and I are right next, <laughs> we're, we're, we're in the room right next door to each other. What do you think these guys are going to do over this length of time to manage the stress that's going to come with obviously the bottom line while they're all there to perform? Yeah. There's two different levels, right? There, there's, let's say six teams that are going there thinking like, all right, we, we can win. Like we, we can be here for three months. We can win. And I, I think for those teams, you would think that once you get by the first round, like eight games and then the first round, then you're down to the cream of the crop and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And if you're there to win, you can see it. And, and whatever stress is about living in the bubble, like you can at least see the light at the end of the tunnel. Then you have the guys on the teams that are just like, let's be frank, are not going to win. Like they're not, they're not there to win the championship. I just wonder, like, you know, Phoenix loses its first four games. Are you going to start to see guys kind of check out a little bit and deal with the stress of it by being like, you know what, I don't even really want to be here anymore. But in terms of day to day, I don't know, man. You got to lean. I guess, I guess you just got to lean. You don't have your family there, right? So a lot of people, like, you know, you hear players say all the time. I have a bad game or whatever. I go home. My kids don't care. I had a bad game. Like that's a source of relief for me. So you, you're going to have to find something to replace or mimic that. And I guess you, for me, I would just lean on, 
lean on the stuff that I do anyway. So if you're a reader, if you're a video game guy, if you're a movie guy, if that's just your habit, if that's how you unwind naturally, like kind of lean more into that. Mm-hmm. And, and Zach, do you think there's a chance that we see a, a social ripple effect on the basketball court? I mean, basketball is a team game. Guys are familiar with each other. But if you're in isolation all day, right, and you're watching or reading or doing whatever you're doing, and then immediately you're putting on a bus by yourself, potentially, then going to a game, and you're and it's all isolated, and then you're on a basketball court, and the five of you are trying to work together, do we see some some strange things where where guys are a little off because of because of this? I mean, that, that's sort of the stuff that I think may in, impact gameplay potentially. In terms of teammates not being on the same page, not or? being on the same page, or people being out of it, people being aloof. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what isolation can do to some people, um, and, and I think that's a fascinating thing to think about as well. I don't, I don't know. You know, I have, I have more faith in. I don't know. I want to say this the right way. Like I have, I have more faith in sort of human resiliency Mm -hmm. than like everyone's talking about all the things that could go wrong. And our, (laughs) our players our coach, like are people going to leave the bubble because they just can't be by themselves and and they need to go socialize or whatever. I kind of think, I mean, humans are incredibly adaptive and Mm -hmm. I, and I, you know, are the players we've already seen, like, are the players going to be upset because the hotels aren't as nice as they're used to? And is, is LeBron going to demand his own mansion over here? (laughs) I kind of feel like everyone's accustomed to their stuff. I get that, but like humans are incredibly adaptive. And if you get down there and you're like, all right, right, it's not what I'm used to. Maybe not as nice as I'm used to, but I'm in a rhythm now. I'm in a Mm -hmm. rhythm. Like we practice this day. We played this day. My hotel has this, I kind of like this pool. Uh, this video game thing works for me. I kind of think like if they give it, a, if everyone gives it a shot, like they'll get in a rhythm and be like, you know what? I can do this for a couple of months. I can, I, this is, this is going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I, I wanted to ask you, Zach, I, I know we're talking about the bubble and it's all about the bubble, but there, there's some bigger conversations that are going to happen because we have free agency. I think that starts October 18th. We have a, a CBA negotiation that's coming up. We have a whole nother season that is, you know, you have to figure out what that will look like based on this whole bubble. So as, as someone who's covering the NBA and obviously so plugged in, I know everyone's focused right now with what's in front of us, the bubble, make the bubble safe, get through the bubble experiment. But that next iteration for the next season, how much are you focusing on? that right now to 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 try to see what that may look like it's always in the background because everything they do to make this season work in terms of how how what kind of pay cuts are we talking about how much money Mm -hmm. is going to be put into escrow all that stuff is linked to or carries over you have to have the same discussions about next season i mean bj can talk about Mm -hmm. this at more at length but i'm sure you've got clients that are going to be free agents this summer Right. And you don't want to come to a solution where those guys get unfairly screwed because the cap goes down like this and then it goes back up like this, sort of a reverse of what happened in, in 2016. Mm-hmm. And you have all these um, – you, you're looking at a season next season where if there are no fans – like, and that may be the best-case scenario, by the way, is 82 right. games with no fans. Do you think um, they'll get – sorry to interrupt you. Do you think they'll get 82 games in, Zach? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But whatever it is, there's going to be a huge hit in revenue. And yet, all of these dudes have, I think Bobby Marks said, $4 billion of contracts that are already on the books. And that's an uncomfortable conversation to go to a player who's like, you know what? No, I signed for $18 million flat. Like, that's my salary. And I know 10% of it goes into escrow anyway, but usually I get that back. Like, now I'm going to make 
13 million because the math has to work. I mean, that that's a tough conversation. And you multiply that by 400 players at varying income levels. And, and you're going to get into like, this is going to be the ultimate test of the relationship between the union and the league and the owners, because everyone's going to have to take a hit and some people are going to take more of a hit than others, but there's no, I, BJ can speak to this more. Like, I don't think there's any artful or easy way to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's it's an unusual situation to say the least of what's happening. And I think a lot of these projections, if you will, that go into the future will actually depend on how this plays itself out starting now in the summer. And uh, we'll definitely see. And I mean, I wish I, I I wish I had a crystal ball and I could see it. But I think, Zach, as you as you alluded to, I mean, it's kind of. We just have to kind of wait and see, which is mm-hmm. provides a lot of anxiety and uncertainty for all of us, agents, players, owners, league. And I can't recall a time that I've seen where there's this much uncertainty heading into a season. Mm-hmm. No, even in the lockout, it's like you knew that, all right, there's a lockout. The games are going to stop. Probably they're not going to cancel the whole season because nobody actually wants to do that. And the CBA will come back looking like a cousin of this document that already exists, like a couple percentage points here and there. It's going to look and function the same. This is like, and to your point, I think it's a great point. Like if this, if this Orlando thing goes up in smoke after two weeks and it gets canceled, that's another X hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue that you've now lost, I think. And that impacts how everyone approaches the next season. I think. Mm -hmm. Do you think there are any, executives now that are just kind of looking at next season as kind of a transition season uh, in many regards, because we don't know what the cap's going to be. How are you going to build a team where we don't, there's so much unknown headed into the season. Do you think there are owners and executives beginning to look at next season of saying, you know, let's, you know, just kind of see what happens and then maybe start up in 21, 22 saying, this is how we're going to try to build our team out for the you know next three or four years. Yeah. Whatever, whatever grand plans we had, we're going to have to sort of hold those off. I, you know, th- I think this is why everyone is sort of assuming slash hoping that they keep the cap flat because that way, like whatever plans you had for this summer, mm-hmm. you could sort of do a reasonable facsimile of those, of those plans. But you know, I guess it depends on the teams, right? I mean, there are some teams that like urgently are trying to win the championship next year too. And like those teams, I think are, are usually kind of locked into their rosters. And then you have the rebuilding teams that I think it's an interesting question. Like if I'm the Hawks and I had whatever $40 million of cap space I was supposed to use this summer, do I still, do I still use it if it's 30 or if it's 20, do I need to use it more urgently because more teams will have cap space the following summer? I, I don't, right. I think teams are sort of still focusing on like, all right, I had a plan still going to try to work under the assumption that I can try to execute that same plan or something similar. Mm-hmm. And, and Zach, I want to get back to, uh, you know, we've obviously had no basketball, so everyone's doing the uh, let's reflect back on what actually happened this past decade in the world of basketball. And, you know, we, there was the decision and I want to get to that, but, but first I want to get to an article that you wrote in 2013 is the anatomy oh. of a deal. 
And uh, it's about Kawhi Leonard and George Hill, the, the trade of all trades. Everyone thought it was going to be the Rudy Gay trade, but then it turns out to be this Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, what could have been in the Eastern Conference versus what is now in the Western Conference. And I just wanted to ask you about those sliding doors because at one point in time, LeBron James could have played Kawhi Leonard and Paul George in the conference finals with them on the Pacers and himself on the Heat. And now in 2027 years later, we have the Clippers with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard facing LeBron James on the Lakers. And that is, if you told someone that in 2013, that would sound almost improbable, if anything. Uh, so just as someone who wrote that piece in that moment in time, did you expect to see a world in which we would see that duo take on LeBron in a conference finals? Because uh, I, I never thought it was possible, but here we are. No, and it was the, one of the first thoughts I had when all that happened at like 2.30 in the morning Eastern time was I thought <laughs> back to like, man, this 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 is uniting two guys who were on the same team technically for like five seconds in, at, at the draft and whatever year that was. And holy cow, what a trade by the Spurs to, to, to turn George Hill, in, who's a good player, but didn't – but, but to, to bet that – we had identified someone who we could get with the 15th. He was 15, right? Yeah, 15th, 15th pick. pick yeah. And that guy, if, if everything goes right, he can develop and we can help him develop into something that could change our franchise. And for them to be that right. I mean, this guy's a two time finals MVP. That's incredible. And when I wrote that article, I was a little bit nice to the Pacers. Cause I think I wrote something like this trade is probably going to end much better for San Antonio than Indiana, although Indiana at that time was enjoying the fruits of it, right? I mean, they had mm -hmm. become a, a real rival to LeBron. But you could already tell by then that Kawhi, given his age, his position as a wing, was that San Antonio was going to win that trade in a landslide. Mm -hmm. And I, re I remember just in the finals that year, LeBron, I think the Pacers took LeBron and the Heat to seven games. They had won 49 games, I think, and then they took them to seven games. Then in the finals, uh, Kawhi Leonard checked into the game one time for like, it was like a, a check for LeBron. And LeBron looks back and goes, fuck, you know, because he's so upset that Kawhi Leonard's coming. I back hadn't seen that. That that like came, that like resurfaced in the last few weeks. I didn't either. I hadn't seen it or I don't remember. That's awesome. <laughs> but that kind of just like, you know, that mirrors that point in time. So I think it's cool that, you know, seven years later, we had these guys still at it. And that's obviously, you know, great for basketball to have that 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 all come together. Um, I wanted to get into just about your writing style with basketball, because BJ and I were talking about this and the fascination with it. You know, you, you were covering, right, uh, you were covering a beat for, for a newspaper, right? And you were and you were obviously having to be objective and writing things out. And that has led to your style in basketball, which I think is why so many people enjoy reading you, Zach, because everyone is opinionated. And you seem to do your best to say here's what here's everything that's out on the table and take with take that with what you may and here's what it is and, and does that come from that time being a beat reporter uh i don't know if it comes from that time being a beat reporter but um i mean i have opinions but my opinions are based on me trying to lay i what it really comes from is when i was trying to write about sports i was not my full-time job was to cover all sorts of other stuff that were not sports we're yeah. not the nba and I didn't have, like, I couldn't go to games. I didn't have a press credential. I was just hustling and freelancing. Yep. And my goal was, well, if I'm going to write about the NBA, even as a blogger or whatever, I, I, I want to give whatever readers find my stuff, I want to give them something that they're not getting anywhere else. And I just felt like there's there was a dearth, and I think to some degree there still is a dearth, although not as much, of, of like, of of coverage that was just trying to answer the basic question of like, 
well, why did one team win the game? Like what happened? Like what actually happened that team A beat team B beyond like LeBron had 35 points. So like, what was the lineup that worked? What was the substitution that worked? What was the X, what was the play that the team didn't have an answer for? What could that answer have been? I just didn't think there was a lot of that. And that's all I could do from an outsider perspective. Like I couldn't go interview people, couldn't, couldn't get sources, but like I could watch the game and be like, well, this substitution worked or this play worked, or this is what maybe the coach was debating doing. Like I could at least do that. And, and that kind of led me to where I am now. You know, I've I've admired your, your, your style from afar and like many, I'm sure you have your views, you have your opinions. Of course. If you were building a team, Oh boy. If you were building a team, I know you've <laughs> thought about it, Zach, right? I know you've thought about it. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You know where this is going. I would love to hear how you would construct a team if you were given an opportunity to do that. Like from scratch? From scratch. <laughs> it's a hard question because I think like no one is actually doing it from scratch, right? Like you inherit a situation as a GM that determines what you do. Do I have a top 20 player in the league? If yes, then you start to build around that top 20 player skill set. If no, then probably your best course of action is to be really crappy and get a high draft pick and go from there. But it really... Okay. But let's say this style. Just say style of play. If you can style of play, style of play. Just with the style of play. Um, I I think you. I think what we've learned is there. There. If you if you want us to start winning as many regular season games as possible, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you forget about like is this going to work in the playoffs? Is this going to work at the highest level? If I'm if I'm Detroit or Charlotte or whatever, and I just say, you know what, I want to get towards 50 wins. I want to give my my fans th- things to be excited about. The two things that can get you there are one defense, and particularly defense at the rim. So find a way to defend the rim, and two, you can never have enough shooting. So that means like if someone is not a good shooter coming into the draft, and they don't compensate for that by being like an absolute stud on defense, like that that guy's not for me. If someone's a really good shooter and maybe the other parts of their game need to come up a little bit and I have the 15th, 14th pick, like I'm erring on the side of shooting because the best way for me to win in the regular – and again, maybe that shooter gets played off the floor in the playoffs, right? Maybe we get to the second round of the playoffs and all that cute little off-ball stuff that gets that guy open doesn't work anymore because teams are just dialed in and I'm facing the best teams. But if I want to get towards 48, 50 wins – Shooting and rim defense are the two things that seem to work. You just can't have enough shooting. If you have three-point shooting all over the floor, four positions, you become hard to guard. It's why we see a guy like Cam Johnson go in the lottery. You know what I mean? Because all they all they see is this guy shot over forty-five percent from the three-point line. Let's right. just let's. And just you know what? And you know what? That dude was better than like I don't watch much college ball at all, hardly any, because I don't have time. Everybody laughed at that pick, laughed yep. at it, mm-hmm. and said he can't do anything. He can't move his feet. He can't play defense. Like. I, so I was shocked when I first watched him. Like he actually kind of moves his feet okay, and like he can he can slide his feet a little bit more on defense. Now can he pass and dribble? I don't know, but like that dude can shoot and he can move his feet a little better than advertised. I thought. I went to North Carolina, so I was very biased in it. So I was very excited when I saw Kobe White react to that pick. I was I was right there with him. I was like, there you yeah, go. that's a great pick. <laughs> well, uh, Zach, I, one last question for me, and we'll let you get out of here. Uh, is there anyone that is a Marcus All, Luke Walton All Star uh, in the bubble that that you can that you can point out to uh, that is off the top of your head? 
Off the top of my head, so someone I haven't written about before that I like to watch or that I've, I'm looking at the standings right now to jog my memory. Yeah, I was going to say like a, like a P.J. Dozier type in Denver. Like, I don't know who it may be, but there's someone He's good. The By the way, yeah. that guy's solid. That's a good name. Um, I'm looking for like role player types who um, – uh, My vote I'm, is Michael Beasley for the Nets. Well, is he going to play? We're going to see Michael Beasley play any games? Uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. That's all we can have. Uh, here, I'm going to just throw out some names as I go down to standings. Does yeah. Dante Givincento count, or is he too obvious? No, that counts for sure. That dude is. That dude knows how to play. Uh, Terrence Davis, Toronto. Wow. Uh, enjoyed watching him. Um, I don't think Matisse Tybel counts because he's he's a rookie, but that he's a, just an Great absolute defender. monster on defense. Yeah. Um, I wrote about Michael Carter-Williams. I thought Michael Carter-Williams is one of the happiest stories in the whole league this season. Like a guy who was rookie of the year, suffered a bunch of devastating injuries, still kind of can't shoot, was out of the league, like became a huge contributor for the Magic off the bench. Dozier's a good one. Uh, George Niang. Mm. Keep an eye on George Niang because they need him now that Bogdanovich is hurt. He he knows – you see these guys who are at at an athletic – athleticism deficit in the NBA. But if you can shoot and you know how to play, like, you know, you can read the game one step ahead. Like you can, you can hang, you can hang. And he's one of those guys. So those are a few. Nice. Well, perfect. How is, uh, no, it's a couple is, is Jokic, is he back? Are we expecting him to be back? What's, what's the update? I haven't heard anything about him in the last week or so. Chris Chris Haynes of Yahoo reported yesterday that they expect him back in the next forty eight hours, and he is feeling uh, he is feeling good. So uh, allegedly, he's coming to the Orlando in the next couple of days, which would be nice to see him, you know, on American soil, getting ready for the NBA. Yeah, and he was one of our top. Uh, he was our top guy that we wanted to see. We we, we think the bigs are coming back, Zach. In, in the bubble, he's my favorite. He's my favorite yeah. player to watch in the entire NBA. Full stop. Favorite guy to watch more than Steph Curry, more than Jacek. <laughs> Although I'm, I'm, I'm a little conflicted on. I'm. A, I have to say, I'm a little conflicted on the weight loss. Like he just loses like a little bit of his charm if he does. <laughs> if he doesn't have to like wait. How did this dude come off the street and start dominating guys looking like this? Like it's, it's not. As, it's like when Boris Diaw was skinny. It's not as charming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's pretty oh, funny that's, that's great funny. well zach we appreciate you coming up pushing through we appreciate you sharing your insight and we're happy that you're not in the bubble and you can enjoy and uh right from a distance and uh stay safe out there we appreciate you you got you guys too please stay safe keep your family safe uh it's a really scary time but yeah i appreciate you having me on it's nice to have distractions like this so right. thanks for having me let's make Absolutely. sure uh thanks, next time we check in zach we make sure you don't have any boxes uh, oh, God. Well, good good luck good luck with that i will fail that test i'll tell you that <laughs> all right dave, be safe my friend thanks, thanks guys. Man. No, thanks